again, all my gorgeous, fabulous listeners, and thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Glow West podcast. We're here always to chat about sex, sexuality, and the body. As usual, I'm your host, Dr. Caroline West, and I'm delighted to be part of the Tortoise Shack Network, where you can find all sorts of podcasts on politics, culture, society, trans rights, and of course, me with the sex podcast. If you like what we do, please do consider supporting us at patreon.com forward slash tortoise shack. It really, really does help to keep the mics on. Or if you can pop over to Apple and rate and review, that really does help get the word out about the podcast. If you want to DM me in, on Instagram and Twitter, it's at Glow West Podcast. So as it's still Pride Month, we are chatting about one of the letters of the rainbow of alphabet letters, and that is the B which stands for bisexual. And I have the perfect guest to chat to us today all about the wonderful world of bisexuality. So today I'm talking to Ellen Reed, who uses they, them pronouns. They're a third level PhD student in the Department of Sociology. Their PhD research explores how individuals who identify with bisexualities negotiated their sexual identities in everyday contexts in post-marriage equality Ireland. So very, very, very new. Outside their PhD research, they have been researching LGBTI plus legal activism in Ireland with the European Centre for the Study at Hate at the University of Limerick. And they also publish poems and personal essays with queer organisations such as Queer Media and the Small Trans Library in Dublin and working with intercounty queer and trans and community groups. They are also a collage artist and zine maker and most uh, most recently editing Quarantine, I think I'm pronouncing that right, in aid of Massey with artist and producer Mankey for the Feminist Supermarket at Ormstown House in Limerick. Ellen, thanks Emil for joining me today. You are busy, busy bee. <laughs> thanks so much for having me Caroline. Yeah, it's just been a weird year between COVID trying to keep myself afloat with different projects um, that, so I'm not just like drowning in, in academic work. Yeah, um, I think that so that's a healthy me. thing. That's otherwise, yeah, you know, you tend to go a bit wild with just that, that laser focus. You need you need the other things. And yeah, that's the joy of your PhD as well. You'll end up doing 50 billion things that you didn't think you were ever going to do. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but thanks so much for having me. It's great no, to absolutely. be on this podcast. I'm a huge fan of all the work that you oh. do. Thank you very much. Thank you. Well, and I saw your research and, you know, it was really nice because I think like bisexuals um, get left out of things a lot. I think that there's a lot of focus on the L or the G or the B or the T get mixed up now. And that's all fine. Like obviously we need to focus on everyone, but us little bisexuals seem to get missed out of the conversation quite a lot. So did you find that in your research that people who identified as bisexual, do they find they're just kind of pushed to the side a little bit? Yes, definitely. Um, I think it's kind of an interesting thing, actually, because it's kind of in both like the quote unquote heterosexual world, as well as the kind of wider LGBT plus communities that people kind of feel like they don't know where they actually really fit in. So bisexuals end up kind of filling this very liminal space where they have kind of one foot in each world or maybe they kind of situate themselves only within the quote-unquote heterosexual world. Um, so a lot of people that I spoke to for my research actually said that like they don't really feel comfortable being in LGBT plus spaces because they may be straight passing or they may look straight or because they are in 
a relationship with someone of like the opposite sex I really hate that term yeah, um but you know I don't across, know like what is it that's just called a straight relationship and it's like it's not though because you're still not straight it just looks straight and that's confusing to some people yeah I I think that this is the thing and I ended up asking people a lot because this someone asked me one of the uh like so what do you call a relationship with two bisexual people and I was like I guess a queer relationship and they're like no that's not it if they're like a cis bisexual woman and a cis bisexual man and I was like do you consider yourself to be in a straight relationship and they're like oh, no but it's not a gay relationship but a bisexual relationship sounds wrong um so I feel like we're in a position where a lot of bisexual people actually don't have the language to describe where they fit in um and that barrier of partner gender and people's perceptions of your partner's gender seems to be where that is where you're kind of stopped at the door um so who were potentially in like queer relationships in the past they now if they are in a relationship with a person of the opposite sex or opposite gender or whatever you want to call it they now feel like they cannot go back to the spaces that they were usually allowed into and there's a lot of people that talk about like well yeah I used to go to street 66 or I used to go to the George or used to go to pride but since I've been in this new relationship, I just feel like it will be disrespectful for me to go or it will be you know, wrong for me to attend LGBT events, even if they are online over Zoom. I had one participant talk to me saying like, I'm really unsure about going to this really casual community event. And it was just like a very much like a hobby group that people could meet um, online, but they said that they felt like that was being disrespectful to both their partner on the community so it's it's really difficult because it's a situation then where people are like well where do I go from here yeah, um and fit in. yeah I think that groups like by Ireland are amazing because there's no kind of people actually talked about having connected with by Ireland and saying this is the place where I feel safe and I don't feel like I have to answer any difficult questions I don't have to explain myself I can just connect with people who are like me I can attend events well in pre-COVID times um and you know we can you know do family orientated events because a lot of people who are married and may have kids they can't really connect with an LGBT scene that kind of prioritizes you know clubbing or you know having to travel to Dublin particularly if you live in rural areas and things like that so those kind of like family orientated events as well don't really seem to be um connecting with community but I think that's actually a wider issue where there seems to be a disconnect between older and younger queer generations um, as well you know yeah it's it's almost like all we do is either party or settle down and move in together <laughs> it's like there's no <laughs> we're seeing between stuff in there it's it's mm. like everything's missing but yeah like you were saying like when I was growing up and figuring out identity stuff and, and everything else like I'd go into the George and, and for any listeners who are who aren't in Basin Ireland that's like probably the most well-known gay bar in Dublin but predominantly for um gay men really um and that's why it has been for a good while but going in there it, like you would get stopped by the bouncer and you be, and they'd be like you know this is a gay bar and I'm like yeah that's why I'm going here or else it's like you're viewed as like a fag hag you know or like just invisible in the whole thing and it was like when I, I was growing up I was like where do you meet 
girls I don't know and because like that felt like such an uncomfortable space for me because you were either just like you said viewed as taking up space or not fitting in or not belonging and it was yeah fairly uh uncomfortable so you know more queer spaces is obviously um quite a good thing but I like what you're saying there about that liminal space of like you kind of half exist in different worlds and whereas you know if, if you're a gay man you're like I'm a gay man and your relationships aren't questioned because they're generally always going to be with gay men or lesbians are always going to be with gay women but bi people have a few more options <laughs> we might be there for a few different genders and stuff so the, the, talk to me a bit more about the language aspect of that because I think the language is really changing quite a lot around lots of sexualities and, and gender and different orientations and identities so how did your participants use language to identify themselves and their communities so for the most part a lot of people actually did identify with the term bisexual um, and I chose to use like bisexualities in plural because I didn't want to just have people who, you know, there's queer identifying as pansexual. There's a whole load of different, um, you know, uh, identity labels that fit under that label of bisexualities. Um, there was kind of actually interesting kind of use of interchange between bi and queer. That was generally a political stance that people had, but there was people who also identified as bi or pan or predominantly pansexual. But there's also overlap as well with the asexual community, which I learned so much about because not something that, you know, is my experience or is my community. And it was just really interesting to get that perspective as well, because there is kind of, I guess, that whole debates around should ace people participate in pride in the same way that should bi people participate in pride so I think there is that kind of lot of intra-community discourse around groups who are should be allowed and groups who shouldn't and I think that I was actually listening to a podcast with Tori Peters and she was talking specifically about the trans community but I think it kind of does apply to wider queer communities as well where she was saying because you had so much um you know, death and violence against the queer community in the 70s and 80s, there isn't really queer people that you can look up to. So we end up fighting within our own generations. And I think that there is kind of this lack in Ireland specifically of a lot of people who didn't come out till much later because of, you know, horrific laws and just the kind of cultural conservatism that we had. So there can be a lot of kind of difficulty within like who is allowed to identify as what which is interesting because a lot of the people that identified as bisexual said that they were really worried to own that label because they were afraid that people would think they were transphobic. Yeah, I think that's that's a very common thing now. Talk us through that aspect because I know some people are saying we shouldn't use the word bisexual, we should use the word pansexual now to, to specifically include trans people, but bi doesn't necessarily inherently exclude trans people. So this was really interesting because I got a Latin lesson doing a lot of the interviews okay. that like bi is actually means in Latin that it's more than one. But a lot of people see bi and think binary and think two. So I think that this is the move, I guess. But the difference, I guess, between bi and pan seems to be that people often equate it with like emotional attachment. That pansexual doesn't necessarily always equate to like sexual attraction to an individual and that can be just you know it's not about anyone's gender it's just you're attracted to the person in general it's not attraction to anyone's body it's just the person and their emotional selves 
Um, whereas a lot of people seem to think that bi has a lot more text and perceiving people's bodies and, and things like that. And I, I've never felt like that personally, but I also don't think that pansexual really fits. And I also tried that for a little while being like, maybe I'm pansexual because I don't want people to think I'm transphobic. But I asked people about this um, and I was like, well, what does being bisexual mean to you? And someone said, which was my favorite thing that someone said when they responded to this was, it feels like a warm, fuzzy jumper and you just put on that label and it just feels right. And another participant said that a lot of people talk about labels like they're the be all and end all and that they have to, you know, they have to work in in cohesion with everyone else, whereas it really just has to work for you and what feels good internally. So I think a lot of the time, while language is really important, we can often get really hung up on language. And then it becomes a kind of thing where we gatekeep people and tell people that they're, you know, being queer wrong. And I think that it, it just needs to be more of thinking about things in coalition with one another that we don't necessarily have much differences, but if pan, works for you and if you find connection with that if bi works for you and you find a connection with that queer anything like that that yourself and feel comfortable in that then I think that's where we need to just say okay that's that's absolutely fine because I think that I think that there's a lot why there's that goes to that transphobic kind of comment is because there seems to be a lot of discrediting of bisexuality and trying to discredit bisexuality in the same way that that can often happen with ace communities being like well those people aren't having sex so why should they be part of our community or, or whatever yeah, yeah. um i think that that happens to a lot of asexuals and we had yasmin and um, benoit on the podcast before talking about international asexuality day and she would have said the same that you know and i've seen twitter threads from her since that like there's so much a ace phobia I think it's called and just exclusion from so many spaces so it's it's kind of a doubling down of exclusion from general society but within the queer community as well yeah no and it's really hard I think to witness um just even speaking like from a bisexual standpoint and like a lot of my um participants express the same is like you're consistently told from both sides of society whether you're seeing online discourse or if it's said to you in person or whether it's said in like spaces that you aren't you shouldn't be here so you get some instances where people have said to me like you know they've gone into say a place a, like a gay bar or a gay nightclub or something and they will get yelled at by people saying like you shouldn't be here one person was called a breeder in um oh, okay. in a gay bar and it was kind of just one of those instances where it's just like I don't know what to do with this information because I feel like I should be here. But then there's like there was one participant which said um, they were a much older person. So they were kind of growing up in Ireland in the 80s. And they said that when they started going to LGBT spaces, they were that's where they learned not to tell people they were bisexual because it was just kind of one of those things where it's like we kind we want to constantly push you out. And I, I do like it comes from different places. And I think that a lot of the times it is like a safety thing because people obviously don't want to have, like, you know, I, I don't think that straight people should go to Pride. 
but I do feel like if I go to pride with my partner I will be perceived as one of those straight people you know yeah um so I think it's it's a lot to do with like wanting to protect the space wanting to create a safe space but I think it's also as well like a a proximity thing to straight culture or to straightness that it's like you're not fully there so I don't know if we can include you yeah in, in this, well, you know? it's kind of what's the expression it's like a, a pit stop on the way to gay town so it's like almost like a phase you have to go through before you accept that you're actually really 100% gay or 100% lesbian and it's like it's kind of really insulting in a lot of ways to feel like your identity is like it's it just a phase you know it's like going back to your parents and saying your goth phase oh it's just a phase or you know whatever you did in your teenage life was just a phase so it feels yeah it's really invalidating in that sense yes and a lot of people actually spoke about this idea of like gold star gays or gold star lesbians as something that made them feel really insecure about their sexuality because they felt like oh they have potentially had you know one straight relationship or you know a couple of you know, boyfriends or girlfriends in the past and now I'm in a same-sex relationship. Sorry, I keep doing air quotes and realizing this is a podcast. <laughs> no one's gonna see <laughs> <it>. yeah. <laughs> um, but that they they felt like, oh, because I haven't had this real queer experience or because I may have only been with quote unquote opposite sex people, that I can't actually fit into this community. And it makes me feel really sad because I think about all the times like before I was like out and before I would actually go to LGBT spaces because I would always feel like oh I can't go here because people are just going to think that I'm like encroaching on spaces but then on the opposite side you actually have like really brazen straight people just going to places like yeah, the George hate and that stuff for like a hen party or something and it's like no like that's that's not on that's not okay to do that yeah. yeah and I think that that was the thing that like a lot of people then said like when they would go to a lot of spaces like someone described the George to me as a free-for-all like it wasn't they didn't think that it was a gay bar now they were a lot younger than me um so they would have been in their early 20s but you know for me I remember going to Dublin for like I was like 19 I was probably in second year of college and I went to a drag show in the dragon and I was like this is amazing Do you know like it was the first time that I felt like okay, this is a good place to be, but now it seems like that is changing. And I think that there is this kind of encroaching on queer spaces, but then I always feel like there's fallout then so that there's people who may be questioning, feel like they don't want to be lumped in to that crowd. Um, so I think that there is a lot of negotiation for people within spaces, particularly around their identities that they often have to make choices about like where they can go to certain places if they can bring their partner there if they can you know go to you know even and it works the opposite way as well like if you're in a you know same-sex relationship going to any kind of heterosexual space that that safety is compromised there also so I think that people who are bisexual who end up being in kind of perceived to be straight passing relationships they often find themselves going continuously to heterosexual spaces where they don't really feel that safe in order just to feel like they're at some way at ease so they don't feel like they're disrespecting wider communities well there's something in that as well about you know a a lot of people 
regardless of where they're falling in the alphabet, feel that they're not queer enough. And, you know, especially in, in this context, we're talking about bisexual people, that feeling of, oh, I'm not queer enough. In that case, a lot of the time, what we're saying here is like that translates into looks as well. If someone can look at you and, and think, oh, you're not queer enough, you're very straight conforming and and maybe that's like stereotypes about like what your hair looks like what your clothes are all that kind of thing and that feels very limiting as well do you know it's like oh you're you're straight passing so you must be straight and it's like it just yeah like did, did your participants have any any thoughts about that aspect of things how they're perceived like that so the majority of the participants that I had were cis bisexual women and a lot of them did say the same that they was like, oh, because I have long hair, because I wear makeup, because I like to wear dresses. That's what codes me as heterosexual. And I think that that is a very dangerous line to be walking to, particularly to say, like, you know, that comment about someone being called a breeder just because she was wearing a dress and just because she was wearing makeup and she just happened to be in a queer space that, you know, a lot of people do those things for safety reasons. You know, I think like a lot of people think the visibility is really important and representation is really important, but there aren't a lot of supports for people and a lot of people don't feel safe doing that. So it can often be a trap for people to actually go out and be very visibly queer that it's a risk they're taking every time going out. Um, I mean, it took me, what I didn't cut all my hair off till I was like, 26 so like you know that was the first time that I was like okay fine I'm I'm free of this uh, <laughs> yeah you're brave. But, you know but, like, like, but even on yeah. that like you can still have it be like super femme and super girly and and you know like have your long hair and and it does you don't have to have like the queer side cut going on you know and, <laughs> and blue hair or anything like that but I think that, you know maybe for people who are like super femme and into their makeup and stuff that, that's an extra hurdle you know because it's like oh you look super straight or however we're coding straight people you know it's yeah yeah it's really it's really one of those things I think um where it's it kind of is hand in hand with the partner gender so if you are complying with normativities with the heteronormativity or the perceived heteronormativity and you are fulfilling correct gender roles that's when people just completely write you off. And whereas, you know, if you, you know, look queer, but maybe in a straight passing relationship, it like you may get some bit of a pass. Like some people have said, like if they are in those straight passing relationships, but they have like, they wear like cuff their jeans and have a, a bob that they, they've been told, oh yeah, you look bisexual. But so many of those things are also so generic. I'm really interested maybe in the future if I finish this PhD like doing something around bisexual culture and what that means because there's a really long history there but you know one of those it's you know like you can't sit in a chair properly you know like (laughs) (laughs) you know that there's not anything that is like automatically identifiable and I think it's potentially because the community is so blended and it does encapsulate a lot of different like overlap with other identities within the wider LGBT kind of acronym that it is that kind of someone one of the participants said like that chameleon aspect of yourself that you switch all the time so you don't really have a fixed kind of place where you are like I'm just at 
point whatever and this is how I express myself because I think that there is still this kind of necessity for a lot of queer people to I guess be open and, and code ourselves as queer so we can have connections with other people but that connection automatically stops when that kind of proximity to partner gender mm. that potentially could be perceived as heterosexual yeah, comes in the mix absolutely yeah and I've seen a lot of those memes or whatever they are about oh if you're you know straight or whatever don't come to pride or um but then it was like if you, if you see what you think is a straight couple, it doesn't mean that they are actually straight. You know, it could be someone who's trans or non-binary or like whatever, whatever happens to be. But people are, that's the automatic assumption of, oh, they're straight, they don't belong here. When there could be so much more than that, or it could just be a friend supporting them going to their very first pride or something like that as well. Yeah, I think it's, it's I, I'm always like getting myself in knots about like where I actually like find myself on on this kind of trajectory of like should straight people at all go to pride I think that I I think that I'm kind of anti-ish because I've been in so many situations where I've been like laughed at in like at pride events being like haha you're the only gay person here and and and, and it's been a weird kind of thing but then as I said to you before like that kind of whole idea of like those people who are questioning they will have so much anxiety around not like crossing a line that they won't actually show up to those events and I think that was another thing when I asked people about pride and when I asked people about going to kind of things around marriage equality was that people were like oh I did this for my lesbian and gay friends this isn't for me you know this isn't part of my community like that's not for me I'm happy to go to support my friends but it's not for me and I asked people about this, I was like, what do you mean it's not for you? And they were like, well, all of this, all of these hurdles are for lesbian and gay people. They're not for bisexual people. We don't have any real barriers that people can identify as barriers because we can switch in and out. And I think that that is potentially a problem within the BIPLUS community yeah. that we think that we can switch in and out. Um, because I, I think, and this is another thing that I'm grappling with is like, what is straight passing privilege really? And a lot of the times when people talk about their ideas of having straight passing privilege, it's often in the context of social exclusion um, that like they may not feel, you know, oppression from their family or they may not get yelled at on the street. But when it comes to finding a home within the LGBT community, they can't find it there. And they often talk about like missing something, you know, like missing a place to feel comfortable because before they would have been in quote unquote opposite gender relationships, they would have, yeah, you know, gone to LGBT events and found a community with that, but then have had to pull themselves away. Yeah, um, so it's, it's, it's a lot of yeah. emotional labor of, of just constantly seeking where I, where I fit in and where safe to, to kind of reveal your your true identity like a superhero revealing <laughs> yourself but well you you work as well with the the legal activism part of things and talk me through that because there'd be a lot of people who kind of say well we have same-sex marriage now so marriage equality what's well sure we solved everything with that one referendum and that's fine and obviously that is absolutely not the case so what what does that kind of work in entail because it's the european 
Centre for the Study of Hate as well. So I presume you're looking at hate crimes and things like that. Yes, so this is a project I'm working on with my supervisor, Dr. Jennifer Schwepp, and my colleague in the Department of Sociology, Dr. Amanda Haynes. Uh, It's an IRC New Foundations um, project. So basically what we're doing is we are kind of um, chronologizing um, LGBT legal activism in Ireland and looking at kind of all those key moments of legal change. And we're going to create kind of a digital archive um, talking to kind of key players that kind of helped um, with um, legal change in Ireland. Um, So we're kind of just in the midst now of, of kind of compiling a list of people the list is getting longer and the time is getting shorter so um hopefully that um will be moving along quite soon but um I was interested yeah yeah no I think it's it's really interesting particularly as there's still so many conversations we're having today about you know the rights of LGBT plus asylum seekers the rights of um you know LGBT families Mm -hmm. there's so many things that need to be still done um within the country and I think that this kind of the discourse around marriage equality really bothered me because while I only really came out publicly because of marriage equality like I remember I flew to New York the day the vote happened so I voted and got on a plane and when I woke up in JFK the results had come out and you know it had passed and I just burst out crying and I couldn't stop crying and I didn't know why because I was like I'm straight ally um but it was actually years and years of working up to actually being able to come out but the more I kind of looked on it retrospectively and and looking at the campaign it was so watered down to the point that like we can only have this really sanitized view of lesbians and gay men who are cis and white and middle class and wear three-piece suits and lovely you know press clothing that we actually didn't get to see the the different multiplicities of people's lives and so much of the conversations around marriage equality were about being a nation of equals and you know all like all the speeches were like now everyone is equal in Ireland it's like oh Jesus it's a really nice quote for the front of the book (laughs) but (laughs) but not sadly true in real life this is it and I began to think about you know the kind of issues that were kind of happening as a like within marriage equality and the camp the PhD originally was looking at kind of more legal implications to do with the campaign itself but uh, I'm kind of moonlighting as a sociologist (laughs) my background is in English and media studies and then I did a master's in Irish writing so this is like a very weird trajectory for me (laughs) to go on um but I was very interested in seeing how why people actually negotiated with that campaign because it was very much you know this is about lesbians this is about gay men and this is about no one else and they're all cis and they're all white completely left out of every narrative all the posters and everything like that yeah yeah and um I asked a lot of people um, and I said this to you already, but I asked a lot of people about how they felt included within the campaign. And they said, a lot of people said, yeah, no, I felt really included. It was really nice to canvas. But I knew at the end of the day, this wasn't for me. There was other people then who were parents and, you know, they were very much concerned with, you know, if I get married, will my partner actually be allowed to be the, you know, be a guardian, like legally? 
Um, and then other people said that they had really horrible experiences of canvassing where they were told you can't say you're bisexual on the door, you can say you're gay or lesbian, or you can say you're straight, or you can, you know, you can't mention you're trans, you can only say you're cis, just don't talk about anything. Oh, like flashbacks um, to the, uh, the abortion referendum there. Yeah. Of, of what, what the central messaging was that we all had to follow. Yeah. And this is it. And, and one of the participants said like that middle Ireland is a myth. And, I, you know, I, I have respect for the people who do go about organizing these campaigns because, you know, I, I, I'm very much like, yeah, like, you know, just burn the whole thing down. The system is rotten to its core. Um, but it's just one of those things where it's been so emotional for people. And oh, as you said, like before, the emotional labor that it takes to stand up and lie to someone when you're just like fighting for your rights. When you're and begging like, for your rights of like we yeah. have to call around to people's doors and go can I please marry my lover that has nothing to do with you whatsoever but can you please vote for me to do that and by the <laughs> way I'm the acceptable kind of gay you know I'm not I'm not one of the half gays or trans like all those kind of things were, were said and it was like what is <laughs> that fucking awful on every yeah. level and this is it when when then you have the people who are the leader of the campaign say, oh, we are now finally a, a nation of equals. And you're saying, well, I had to pretend I was X, Y and Z on the door. So I don't really feel like it because now I have to put on this facade in any in every other context. And this is kind of where the project came out of then is that like a lot of people had to negotiate their identities in those situations. So how do they feel after the fact if we are in this nation of equals? Yeah, and there's a lot of trauma there, I'd imagine, from that. Yeah, I mean, there was a report done after the fact um, for like the whole community itself. And like everyone was like, I would never do this again. Like I would literally never do this again. And the same goes for repeal. I would never. If I could go back in time, I would have been like, sorry, but no thanks. I will not knock on the doors because, you know, no one deserves to be like spat at or yelled at or no. anything like that. It's disgraceful. You have to beg for your rights from from strangers mm. and, and some people who quite enjoyed um, the abuse on the doorsteps yeah. or giving it out. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's a, it's a big claim to make that, oh, everyone is, is you know, um, equal now. And when even though same sex marriage came in, marriage equality, um, like we still didn't have um, parents of, in, in those relationships being recognized as legit parents on the birth certificate of children. That's is that finally resolved now, I think. But that was like a no, long campaign. I think it's still an issue like there's I'm really unsure about the legalities of this. Um, but there is an organization called Equality for Families. And just seeing like it's just so heartbreaking to see like people actually just being torn apart just for that simple reason. And I think that this was the issue with marriage equality. And there's so many things within that, like even like people's like partners, say if a partner dies, they're not really entitled to the other partner's pension. So there's so much behind this that like, you know, passing one simple referendum isn't enough in the same way that we see with repeal that there's such limited access to abortion services, that there is this kind of reduction all the time and which is why I'm really, really skeptical of doing this kind of Middle Ireland. Can we please have our rights now if we're being very good and nice? Because no one ever got liberation from being nice or for being, you know, very much like, oh, aren't we lovely? 
you know, all this kind of crack. We're, we're um, not a threat. We're acceptable beings. We're your neighbor. We're your friends. And it's like you can just be a gross stranger and you still deserve your rights. You know, that's, exactly. that's OK. Uh, like going forward, like what is, what is your vision for a happy utopia for bisexual people in Ireland? Big question. But um, where, where, where would you like for, for people to Big be? Big question. Uh, I actually... Yeah, I was actually asked this question, like, what does a what does a utopian future look like for queer people? And I was like, I don't think one exists. Um, and, and this is where I'll go back to always quoting Jose Munoz, but he talks about how utopia is like we're always going towards it, but we'll never quite reach it because it's always on the horizon. And I think that that's where we're at now because I, I don't think that we can ever reach a perfect place, really, unless we are willing to dismantle every structure in every system that's there because this idea of reform or whatever really kind of bugs me because I I don't think that we can actually reform something with the kind of power structures that exist so for me I guess it's just about like willing to listen to people and willing to actually seek commonalities between groups and stop trying to pit people against each other or stop trying to privilege others against like other groups within the LGBT community. There was one person that I interviewed and they said that they missed being queer because they were in a straight passing relationship now. And I asked them, what did they mean? And they said, oh, you know, like it was just so nice to be in that community and now I can't be in it anymore. And I was like, oh, well, why not? Why can't you go? And it was like, oh, well, the communities that I would be involved in, they wouldn't really see that as an okay thing. So I just can't go anymore. So it's kind of, it's this idea that you have to sacrifice everything just for the person you love. When you look back to when homosexuality was criminalized. And I think that we're in a position now where it's like, yes, absolutely, bi people can have access to privilege when it means that they won't get like yelled at in the street or be subject to violence and things like that. When we look at the statistics of, you know, how many white people experience sexual violence when they experience intimate partner violence, have really adverse mental health issues, that a lot of this stems from not having community support, not being seen as like an actual valid person with a valid sexual identity. You're often seen as promiscuous or oversexual. So like if you experience sexual violence, you deserve it. And it's all kind of these stereotypes that kind of consistently persist in like heterosexual and LGBT spaces that just kind of like amalgamate and explode then for bi people. So I guess we have a long way to go. And I think it's a lot of it's a lot of unworking, unlearning and willing to work in coalitions and and seeing like well my struggle is your struggle I'm not free until you are free let's think about working together and I guess but the one thing for me is the privileging of legal rights and the, like way that we go forward so that like we only think about things in terms of like oh this legal thing has to be achieved so that we can no longer be oppressed but when that comes to bisexual people it's like, oh, well, there's no legal issues here. So you're all fine. Um, yeah, whereas the cultural there's a change needs to come in. Yeah. And community change as well. Um, yeah. Sorry, that was very rambly. 
Um, well, there's, there's so much in that and I think you're so spot on with, with it all you know it's it's fine yeah you can take a box on paper and go everything's fine but obviously there's, mm. there's a lot to do with that and like anything to do with sex and sexuality there's a long way to go for for it all I think sometimes we just think oh it's fine and you know it, it, it's absolutely not but we do have a long way to go but we will get there and people like you putting your research out there into the world always helps that process but just before we go I have to ask you what is the feminist supermarket that was in oh. your bio <laughs> down in Limerick <laughs> So Ormston House is this amazing cultural and community centre. They do a lot of art um, with different artists, such as Kira Barker. She's amazing. Um, she took out her work. Um, but they basically support kind of women and LGBT people um, doing art and other community related events in Limerick. So we got funding to make this zine about connection during lockdown. And this is when we thought that we could have a launch last August because we thought COVID was going to disappear. Um, but yeah, no, they do really amazing stuff. They did a walking um, app on for Limerick women. So you can trace Limerick women throughout history and go on a walking tour around the city. Um, they're also, fantastic. yeah, they're also supporting um, the new transport group in Limerick as well. Um, but yeah, they do amazing work in supporting artists and community members in Limerick. So it was really lucky to work with them. Fantastic. Oh, well, look, hopefully you get another launch soon. The, the next time COVID disappears, we'll, you'll get there soon mm-hmm. enough. So um, that is fab. Ellen, where can people find you if they want to keep in touch with your research? Because you're, you're third year now, home straight, nearly at yeah. the end, nearly publishing and all the rest. You can, you can rest soon. You'll be fine. Yeah. Um, where can people find you? So our Twitter, it's um, at eReadBuckley. Maybe you can put it in the... Yeah, absolutely. Notes, um, but that's kind of where I post random stuff um, around research, general complaints about the world, sometimes about music, um, lots of different things. Um, but that's kind of where I'm most active. Brilliant. No, that's fantastic. So hopefully people, yeah, reach out because I'm sure there's, you know, there's a lot of people out there really interested in that research and then taking it and, you know, turning it into community change and, and all those things as well. So that would be fantastic. So, um, yeah, listen, thanks, Mill, for, for coming on to me today and, and happy end of Pride Month. <laughs> nearly there. Thanks for having me, Caroline. Thanks, Mel. And thanks, Mel, to all my listeners as well. Um, hope you've had a really fantastic Pride Month. Obviously, Pride um, is just one month, but LGBT plus people are queer all year round. So it's not the only time we will be visiting queer topics on the podcast. If you have any that you want to have covered, drop me a line. The Instagram and Twitter is West Podcast. Like we said at the show, if you want to support the show, it's uh, patreon.com forward slash tortoiseshack. And I'll chat to you next week.